Hello everyone. I want to invite you to the great Schaeffer Bake Off. And despite the title, it is not a competition. When I was a little girl, I used to sit in the windowsill with my feet on the counter and watch my mom cook and help her peel and grate and knead, uh, whatever. And it's some of my fondest memories. And still today, one of my the most treasured times are with friends in the kitchen where they come and they sit around the kitchen table or just stand around and we talk and we bake and we um, cook together. And I feel like in this time, that fellowship and togetherness has been sorely missed. So we want to come and invite you into our kitchens to come and bake with us. Uh, the recipe is simple so and quick and perfect for Easter. Uh, so beginners, be, beginners are welcome even if you've never baked before, then this is a good time to learn. And then we'll have a little pamper session with our lovely Alex. Um, we hope you will be able to join us on the 20th of March um, and details to follow. Thank you. Hello everybody. I'd like to share with you today from the beginning of Psalm 9, which says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I would just like to encourage you all to keep the scripture in mind this morning as we think about the tithes and offerings that we bring. There are many ways that we can praise God with our voices, with our worship, with instruments, with our words. But one of the ways that we are called um, to worship God as Christians is with our finances. So let's give out of thankful and joyful hearts today. I know this is a very difficult time for a lot of people and it's easy to think about the things that we don't have or the things that we can't do but let's meditate on God's goodness. There are so many things that he's done for us and most importantly, he's a good father and he loves us and he will look after us and see us through this difficult time. God bless you. Good morning. What a privilege it is that you are joining us today as we work through the book of Acts in the month of March and April uh, with great expectation for the things that God will be doing in our church and in your life as you listen to this sermon and, uh, and also as you spend time in the Word of God reading through the book of Acts. But let's just pray before we start. Father, we've got a great expectation that you will minister to us, that you will speak into our lives, and that you will transform us with your word. This morning, Father God, I pray for those who are listening, that this will not be just a teaching or even preaching in their, in their lives, but it will be a time of transformation where your Holy Spirit inspires them, impacts them, and, uh, and Father convicts them to, to do the things that's on your heart to partner with you and to transform the people that are around us. Father, we realize this morning that there's so many desperate people in the world that is waiting for your kingdom to be established. 
And Father, how can we be silent? Father, inspire us this morning. Do within us what only your Holy Spirit can do. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I want to just quickly read out of Acts chapter 3, verse 1. You can follow with me. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John, so he observed, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So what happened? Let's first talk about what happened at this moment. This is the ninth hour of the day. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And Peter and John are often found uh, together in scripture and this is the case on this day at the temple as well uh, they were partners in fishing as all of you know we read that in Luke chapter 5 verse 10 um, and they were also the two that prepared the Passover they were the two that ran to the tomb and raced one another and it's uh, always blessed to read John uh, when he says that he actually beat um, Peter to the tomb. Uh, So there was a lot of competitiveness between them. um, And they were also the ones who ministered to the Samaritans who believed in Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 8, which we will later get to. And then uh, we also know that they were filled by the Spirit by now. And um, the apostles were no longer be competing in greatness but they are actually complementing one another and excited to minister together and this is the beautiful picture that we see in the book of acts that at this time things have changed things are not the same anymore where in the past they would strive and you know try to sit on the right hand and the left hand of of christ and try to establish and do the most that they can for christ to prove themselves At this moment, they're just flowing with what is busy happening, being empowered by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John was um, on their way to go to the afternoon prayers. And this is actually a a traditional time or a traditional custom for the Jews to to go a few times in the day uh, for prayer. And this was the afternoon slot. And we see that... um, this was also instituted in Exodus 23, verse 39. So they are in the heart of Jerusalem um, at the beautiful gate. Now, beautiful gate was um, also known as the Corinth gate. 
which led from the court of the Gentiles uh, to the court of the women and um, and it's it's massive gates it's actually if you if you read it you think it's like doors but it's massive gates and uh, it's covered with bronze now according to uh, historians like uh, Josephus these gates were very high it was about 40 to 50 cubits high it's about 23 meters um, now a normal door is about two meters so you can just imagine um, how high these doors or gates really was it was really splendor because you saw the sun shining on these copper covered uh, doors um, also with the emblem of the vine uh, which is a sign of God and his relationship with Israel and um, and in the setting these two apostles uh, were busy ministering and it's actually ironic for them to say listen we don't have the kind of gold and splendor that um, we see here at the temple but what we have is the presence of God and it's actually a lesson in itself for us as the church and the people of God in the times that we are living because we so easily focus on the splendor and the amazing way in which we try to portray the gospel and uh, even the church to the world out there that we forget that it's the power of God it's the relationship with God it's his will being done through our lives that brings splendor and that brings change and transformation um, to the people of the world and so for this lame man at this moment he was using the skill that he knew best and that was to beg he was sitting at this gate and uh, he was already 40 years old so you know probably he has done this for many years um, and uh, his family probably brought him the morning and he was sitting there with expectation and he's using this skill now I don't know if you guys have seen uh, beggars in the past trying to connect with you with their eyes because if they can lock with their eyes um, they can see if you will be compassionate enough to give toward them so it's a moment between him and the two disciples or the two apostles and um, and it's then that they actually give what is most precious to this layman and that is the life giving power of the Holy Spirit in them it's beautiful what's happening at this time with these disciples because they realize their dependence on God and the power of the Holy Spirit working through them and the agenda of the Holy Spirit as the um, Holy Spirit give them the gift of faith and the gift of healing uh, to bring healing to this man's life and so he was leaping and you know just dancing and giving just his praises to everyone around them and this actually made people to come close now we know there was a progression of people growing in the kingdom at this stage and um, and the disciples were first 120 in the upper room then uh, about uh, 300 and then uh, here now with this incident we see that they grow to about 5,000 because at this stage people are just flocking around uh, the disciples and so this is quite a moment uh, where 
this healing then also impacts a lot of people and word is busy spreading to the rest of Jerusalem, the rest of Israel, and amazing things are busy happening. But there is a setting that we must keep in mind when we talk about these things, because when the, the Spirit of the Lord is given full reign in a congregation even, there will be healings of people, um, spiritual and psychological, physical needs even um, being met. And you know, this is what happens within a very traditional background uh, in Israel, at the temple in Jerusalem. And I can just tell you that I think we as a church are often taking for granted the fact that we must move in the power of God in order to reach people. The fact that God is actually empowering us to do great things. Miracles should be the ordinary in the church. God is doing miracles despite of us and we are busy missing out. There's beautiful things happening all over the world right now, even in the times of lockdown. There's churches and, um, and people ministering the word and because of the desperation that we see around us, amazing things busy happening. And so, you know, the anointing upon your life is only as fresh as your last testimony. You can't say that God did some things in the past in your life. And, you know, you can testify of 10 years ago, 20 years ago of amazing things. It must be fresh. Whatever God does in your life, it must be a day old. It must be hours old. There must always be something that we talk about that God is busy doing in our lives because we as His disciples do extraordinary things in His name. And so I must give a background to these guys because I think if there's anything that we want to experience as the church, um, it is the power of God moving. It is that there's more, that we are not satisfied with where we are at and we want more of God. We want more of His power in order to reach the world, to tell the world how great God is. And so um, just a little bit of background on the book of Acts. We must remember that the book of Acts was written um, by Luke. And Luke was an evangelist, but he was also a Gentile. And he was a physician from Troas, a place where Paul ministered at. And he got saved then. And so he was an eyewitness to the account of what happened um, with the disciples, but also with, with Christ. And, um, and he was just writing it down. Now, we know the Gospel of Luke because the Gospel of Luke, Luke actually writes down everything concerning Jesus. And, the, and, and, and he writes this Gospel in order for everyone to know what happened uh, with Jesus. Now, Luke was quite a meticulous guy. He was... Um, mostly writing around the stories of Peter and Paul. And, um, and Paul was actually telling his stories to Luke. And, um, and the gospel's focus was on the journey of Jesus, while the, the book of Acts now was written as an application of the gospel. So while Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, for people to uh, to see 
what Christ has come to do, we see the fruit of what Christ has done um, in the book of Acts. Because powerful things happen because of the foundations that Christ came to, to lay down. The book of Acts was written about 63 after Christ. And um, we know that he wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts to Theophilus. Now, Theophilus was a probably uh, a Roman official. Um, and the audience of the Acts book, as he was writing even these stories about Peter and, and um, John, was to to the Gentiles so that they can believe. But it was written to Theophilus because he um, had to hear the stories. He had to be encouraged so that he can grow. Now, there was amazing things because Theophilus also means God lover or God beloved. And, um, and we know that the friendship between Luke and Theophilus at this stage grew a lot since he wrote Luke. And um, he, uh, he writes it, he says, most excellent Theophilus, which means that he probably had a rank in the Roman Empire. Luke chapter 1 verse 3 to 4, we see how he also addressed the book of Luke to Theophilus. It seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have a certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So he wrote these books in order for Theophilus to, to not just hear the account, but to be inspired and to grow in his life. Now for us as the church, it's so important to read these things because it inspires us to do greater things, to, um, to grow into the maturity to, um, to grow in Christ and in His power. And so people are not naturally drawn to the gospel until the Spirit releases the desire and draws them. And this is exactly what happens in the beginning of Acts then. So uh, our wills are in bondage to willful self-centeredness until we are liberated by the Spirit. And this is the transition that happens since Jesus has met with them um, after his death until now the Holy Spirit has been outpoured in the beginning of Acts. Uh, we read that in Acts chapter 1 verse 2 until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostle, apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus taught his disciples about um, the Holy Spirit and uh, he wanted them to actually know that whatever the Holy Spirit did in their lives, that they must duplicate that. It was a desperate time for them because you must also remember that Jesus died. And this is now just after his death. They were commanded to go to the upper room in the first chapter of Acts, um, where the Holy Spirit then manifested himself to them. But until then, there was a lot of despair because their teacher, their master, their friend, Jesus, who was supposed to turn things upside down and they believed even make a kingdom out of it um, on earth, which mean, meant that he would take over the government 
and overthrow Roman occupation, he, Jesus was gone. And, um, and the beautiful thing that happens in the beginning of Acts is the fact that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And it did. And it manifests in such a way that they then started to speak in tongues, which means that they used the mother tongue of so many languages all over the world um, in a cosmopolitan city of Jerusalem at the time. And they started to preach the gospel. And Peter was the forerunner. He was the one that took charge. He was the same man that, you know, when we read the end of, of John even, um, the one who missed the mark, the one who cut off ears, the one who ran away when he was supposed to be loyal to Jesus. But now something different happened in his life because he was empowered, full of the Holy Spirit. And that made him to be cautious to not miss a moment in the day uh, for a ministry opportunity. The chance to just spoil people with the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. And so it's Christ in us and the Holy Spirit in us that makes the transformation. And we also read in Acts 1 verse 3, it says, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So also we must remember that this seal and promise of the Holy Spirit being fulfilled in chapter 1 was such a beautiful picture of the kingdom to come. That the kingdom was not a worldly kingdom, but actually a spiritual kingdom, a, a, a kingdom of what happened in the hearts of men. And this was the strategy of the Holy Spirit, is to, to empower people and to start to get them excited for the new life. Now, I just want to say that the power that Christ offers us through His Holy Spirit is a surging, rushing, relentless river of new life. And the riverbed in history that directs the flow of this river is the strategy of the kingdom of God. And now, you know, so if you and I wonder what the Holy Spirit comes to do in our lives, it's like a rushing river that, you know, just does all of these exciting things. And wherever the Holy Spirit is, in churches, in lives, you can see it, you can experience it, you can even see it in the eyes of people. But you know what? That, um, that same river can be destructive if it's not directed. And we know that of a river. The fact that if a river is not directed through a riverbed, it will destroy whatever comes in front of it. But because of the riverbed, it is directed and it actually is a blessing to people around us. Now, the same river that came out of the mountains and, um, and into the valley, if it's directed to a community and it can actually um, be directed by a riverbed alongside a community, it can be a blessing. But if that river comes down gushing into a village, it can destroy it. And this is how the Holy Spirit comes to empower us. The fact that you and I 
need to be in the perfect will of God in order for that Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things in our lives. And so it actually says that the kingdom is then that riverbed because the kingdom is the rule and reign of God in our lives. What does this mean? Because the gospel for each one of us means that it transforms us. It allows us to become greater and do extraordinary things for him. As long as we understand that it's under the rule of Jesus being the king and savior of our lives. And so we read about this um, in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 to 21. It says, even seek the, the kingdom of God and all its righteousness in Matthew 6. And, and so it means that for us, each one of us need to, to um, commit ourselves to the kingdom of God in such a way that we bow our knee to ourselves and we can't be empowered. And, and, and this is the beautiful thing about Peter and John at the time. They're not fulfilling their own will. They're not standing in the middle of Jerusalem because it's nice, because just after this, they were arrested and taken to jail. So we as the church many times want to be empowered and do great things for the kingdom uh, because it's going to uh, create a lot of attention. And well, for these men, the greatest desire was just to please God. And because of that, they saw the Holy Spirit working through great miracles in their lives. And for us, this is the same. Matthew 13, verse uh, verse 3 to 9 speaks of a parable of the sower. Now, we know that the sower in this uh, parable is the, the one uh, whoever sows the seed. So the messenger, the person that is willing to actually share the gospel. We also know that the seed in this first parable uh, is not the word, but the message of the kingdom. The good news of the rule and reign of God to people around us. And then what is the field? Our receptiveness, our hearts, willing to accept the gospel and make it part of our lives. Now, let me just quickly read Matthew 13, verse 24 to 25. It says, He put another parable before them. And this is now in the same chapter, uh, but just another version of the sower. So he put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. And so verse 36 says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay, so who sows the seeds in this parable? There's, not, there's a difference. It's not the messenger anymore. It's now Jesus. Jesus is sowing the seeds. And so the field is the world. Okay, um, the field in the previous one was the hearts of men. So here the field is the world. So Jesus is throwing seeds to the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. 
The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send the angels, and they will gather out the kingdom, all causes of sin, all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, and listen to this, this is now the important part. Verse 43, it says, Then the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So, which means that, what is the seeds? The seeds are the sons of the kingdom and they are thrown into the field, the world, from Jesus to be the light of the world, to shine forth in the kingdom of their Father. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the first books of Acts, it's actually such a big promise coming to fulfillment because this is exactly what Jesus said all the time. He said, you will be the sun shining. You will be the amazing uh, vessels that would take my Holy Spirit and my Holy Spirit will empower you to be the light to the world. So you and I can expect the supernatural to happen because it's not out of ourselves, but the divine God through His Holy Spirit doing extraordinary things. And, and this leads us to a place where multiplication can happen. Not just multiplication in souls being saved and you know, mighty exploits being doing, be done in, in, in people's lives. But the fact that you and I multiply everything that we are involved with in our workplace, in our family life, in the church, everywhere we go, we are God's vessels of honor that He wants to shine forth to the world to see. So what is the sign to the world that God is still there. Okay. I think we must just go one step back. Let me ask the question again. What is the sign to the world that Christ is still Yeah, The sons of the kingdom that are sown into the world with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. He said to the new church and to us today, and it's still relevant, that you will shine forth with the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So why did all of this happen? Why did Peter and John even bother to heal another man? What happened to the lame man drew the attention of the worshippers at the temple. And the purpose in the healing of this man was twofold. Because Christ loved this lame man and you know he had compassion on him not just that day, but for 40 years already. The second thing is that he wanted to alert the people. He wanted to actually manifest himself to the world out there so that people will know that he lives, that he's alive. 
And the only way that I can do it is through us, his sons. And being obedient, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can expect him to do great works in our lives. And so he pointed away from the two of them. And, and this is important because Peter uh, actually you know, made sure that they were not focusing on, on him. It was as if he was saying, why look so intently at us? as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. He had faith in the name of Jesus. And this is where you use the opportunity to say, listen, let's talk about what happened here because you can't deny that something extraordinary happened to this lame man. And we know afterwards that great attention was given because the high priests and the whole of the Sanhedrin then called them to action. Now, for us, we know that as Christ was drawing the crowds, they could then use the opportunity to preach the gospel and many got to, to, to be saved. Now, that's had a great impact in the Jewish culture at this time because it was not just transforming this lame man's life, but everyone that chose to follow Christ was making a direct U-turn against religion and the, the Jewish culture and customs that had them to be bound to sacrifices, to temple um, worship. Now the veil is torn and they can worship the Father and be empowered by the promise of the Holy Spirit so that each one, and this is still today for us relevant because each one of us has victory and, and, and freedom because of this. And so the name he um, proclaimed had power. And authority, and he makes this very clear. He says it's by the only name, um, the name of Jesus Christ. Now, in those days, if you said that you are coming in the name of Caesar, you know, everyone knew that you better comply, you better be obedient to whatever this man says, because if you're not, that disobedience will be punished by the Caesar and his armies and his strength and his wrath. <laughs> Now, when you speak in the name of Jesus, you give the authority that Christ has given you, but also his backing. He's in your boat. He's in your life. He's filling you. He's not just with you. He's in you and he transforms you to the kind of extent where the world can see it. And sometimes I think we must ask ourselves the question, do we really want to become like Christ? Because being empowered by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit means that we will, the more time we spend with Him, the more we will become like Him. And for some of us, that has dire consequences. You know, it means that we might be even alienated from our families. <laughs> and this is difficult, but Jesus pre-warned us that this would happen. But... The beautiful thing of it is the expectation that, God, I cannot be without this. And whosoever want to hear the story, I want to tell it. 
because it's the solution to the world. And this brings us to the last part of today's message. And that is, can it still happen today? And I think the greatest uh, delusion that we believe is that the gifts of faith, healing and miracles is not happening in the church anymore. And that it was only for the apostolic age. That is not faith. (laughs) If we believe uh, delusions like that. Because faith is that we are empowered today as well. He gives us his gifts of applied faith for specific needs and challenges in life. All the challenges that you are facing, all um, circumstances, even depression and, and hopelessness that comes against you, can be transformed by His Holy Spirit in your life. The Spirit of the resurrected Lord is the healing power for the world in the times that we are living. And so, you know, if you ask any preacher what is, you know, the most exciting thing that he can experience in his ministry, he will tell you that it's, experiencing the power of God being manifested. So if you ask any Christian, um, then they would tell you, please give a message on how to live an abundant life. I'm tired of struggling and um, going through strain. How do I find the freedom and joy of being a Christian? (laughs) So why don't we live in empowered lives? Because what happened at Acts brought each one of us to a place of being energized, um, doing the acts of the disciples. I just want to read this. Ogilvy um, wrote this in his commentary. The greatest longing in the church today, stated both directly and indirectly, is the quest for something more than dull religion. People are in need of the intimacy, inspiration, and impelling power of the Holy Spirit. Answering that cry is the key to the church renewal and prophetic preaching and teaching. It is impossible to live the Christian life without the indwelling of the Spirit. Courageous discipleship in the crisis of society cannot be accomplished without the guidance and enabling energy of supernatural power. The church today, like the disciples in the upper room, is waiting on the edge of a miracle. And so, the disciples are more empowered in the 30 minutes after Pentecost than all three years with Jesus. And you and I have the same Holy Spirit today. The infilling of the Spirit had given them the gift of faith. Prior to Pentecost, they had felt dependence and loyalty on Jesus. But now they had faith. Their minds were flooded with the understanding of why Christ had gone to the cross and what the resurrection meant. Not only um, for the vindication of the Master, but the victorious life it now made possible for each one of them and for each one of us. (laughs) As we embark on this amazing journey with Christ. And so my appeal to you in closing. 
is that as we read the book of Acts, each one of us must ask ourselves the question, is there not more than this? Is it not amazing that we have the opportunity to, to, to tell the world about the greatest answer? <laughs> the fact that you and I have life in abundance. And so it's still happening today. I must tell you out of my life, just the other day we prayed for somebody and they got healed. The other day we prayed for somebody with emotional um, despair and they started to get back to life <laughs> and enjoy life again. This is a journey that um, extends itself every day to each one of us. If you are here this morning and you are in need or in a desperate need of the not just salvation of Christ and, and if you don't know Christ I want to invite you this morning to respond after this meeting um, and go to the Zoom link and, and let other people pray for you so that you can receive Christ but also this morning if you need a refreshment and infilling of the Holy Spirit again let's not Talk about last year and the year before when we saw great things happen in the name of Christ. But let's talk about what He has done in our lives today, yesterday, and this hour. Let us allow ourselves to be infilled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that, that we can be the light shining to the world. I want to pray for you this morning. And if you need any prayer, please slot in by following the Zoom link. Father, we thank you that this morning we can trust your Holy Spirit to empower us to reach a broken world. A world desperately in need of a Savior. A world like in the times of Jerusalem that are trying to find answers within intellect, within uh, resources, Father God. Um, and even in the silver that they attain. But, O oh God, we know that the only answer is in the name above all other names, in your beautiful name, Jesus. And we pray this morning that you will come and fill our lives again, that your Holy Spirit will come and transform us again, that you will make sense again in our lives. And we pray that we will shine forth and be your beautiful representation here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.